0: I don't understand. There's no purple light behind me. (laughs) Purple? I'll be wearing black and blue next week. No, I'll wear green. I'll submit. Some of you have asked me what happened. I don't have a clue. I only watched the first half. I didn't feel like vomiting the second half. So (laughs) my wife's not feeling good today, so I can get away with a lot of things. (laughs) Maybe saying I was vomiting was one of them. Well, we're continuing our preparation for a sacred assembly We're now on our 27th day of fasting and prayer. We're continuing our countdown, excuse me, 13 days to our sacred assembly when we will formally repent of our corporate sin, confess the failure of our church, and commit to return anew to God and his purposes. Joel 1.14 is our stepping stone verse from the Old Testament declare a holy fast call a sacred assembly summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord whereas a sacred assembly by nature is a corporate confession of sin there are personal preparations that need to be made for instance, fasting and prayer. And again, we're on our 27th day. Personal confession of sin and offering of forgiveness, leading to reconciliation between brothers and sisters in Christ. One of the verses that we've been looking at for several weeks, and we'll use it again, right up until the sacred assembly is Hebrews 12. One and two, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us individually and corporately strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. And we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. And we saw that the scripture exhorted us to do a couple of things. First of all, to examine ourselves individually and corporately, to see if our faith is genuine, that we are to test ourselves. We called it spiritual examination. So for two Sundays, we examined some of the weights and the sins that interfere with reaching the finish line strong. And we examined, first of all, our attitudes and actions. We listed them. These are just some. Anger, bitterness, not submitting, selfish ambition, pride, malice, divisiveness, stubbornness, unforgiving, unreconciling, sexual impurity, misuse of authority. Then the next week, we examined our heart and speech, gossip, grumbling and complaining, falsehood, slander, worthless talk, reckless words, backbiting, judging motives, following people, not God, fear, doubt. And then last week we examined Matthew chapter 5 verses 23 to 24. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar and go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. We notice that broken relationships can hinder our relationship with God. We saw that if we have a problem or grievance with a friend, we should resolve that problem as soon as possible we are hypocrites we stated if we claim to love God while we hate others our attitude towards others reflect our relationship with God first John 4 20 and 21 if someone says I love God but hates his brother or sister that person the scripture says is a liar But if we don't love people, we can see how can we love God whom we cannot see. And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their Christian brothers and sisters. And then we concluded last week by considering what Kevin Sandy calls the Peacemakers Pledge, a commitment to biblical biblical conflict resolution. And we, we suggested that there were four, that we are to glorify God, first of all, that we are to get the log out of our own eye, that we are to gently restore, and that we are to go and be reconciled. Matthew 6, 12, and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. Matthew 7, 12, do to others whatever you would like them to do to you, This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. In Ephesians 4, 1 to 3, Therefore I, a prisoner serving the Lord, beg you to lead a a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. And if it's later in that same chapter chapter 4 verse 32, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. And we concluded last week by saying by God's grace we will apply these principles as a matter of stewardship realizing that conflict is an opportunity, not an accident. We will remember that success in God's eyes is not a matter of specific results, but a faithful, dependent obedience. And we will pray that our service as peacemakers will bring praise to our Lord and lead others to know His infinite love. John 13, 34 to 35. So now I'm giving you a new commandment, love each other just as I have loved you. John alluded that, John Spatafora alluded to that principle in ABF this morning. Um, You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. In Romans 12, 18, do all you can to live in peace with everyone. And that brings us up to our subject this morning from in our verse from Matthew 18, verses 15 to 17. A very familiar verse to most of us if we've been in the church for very long. We've run across these verses If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out that offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. But if you are successful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church, then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. The first thing that we notice in this passage is that the problem, the sin, the conflict is between two believers. it's important for us to see that the context of this is between two believers it's the Greek word adelphos, which is translated brother. In this case, brother and Christ, and, and the one that's used, that's used broadly in the Scripture to refer to sisters also, brothers and sisters in Christ. James chapter five, verse sixteen, and nineteen to twenty: Confess your sins to each other, and pray for each other, so that you may be healed. My dear brothers and sisters. If someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. The message paraphrase, not a translation, but sometimes helpful for us to get a perspective on what's being said from the message, make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. My dear friends, if you know someone who have wandered, if you know God, uh, people who have wandered off from God's truth, don't write them off. Go after them, get them back, and you will have rescued precious lives from destruction and prevented an epidemic of wandering away from God. And I think that this is what Jesus had in mind in Matthew 18, verse 16. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again, so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. Um, essentially, what's to summarize from these different passages, what's being implied is don't write them off. Go after them. Get them back. Do not nurse hatred. Don't secretly hate. Don't hold grudges. Go after them, get them back. But what if you've, but what if you've gone to them privately and they don't listen? What if they don't confess? What if they refuse reconciliation? Then Jesus instructs, instructs, us, instructs us in verse 16. To take one or two others with you and go back again, so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. Just want to make sure. I thought I skipped something, but I didn't. Um, to, there's there's several allusions in the scripture to taking two or three. Um, witnesses with you to handle situations. Um, Let's look at a few of them. Deuteronomy 19.15. You must not convict anyone of a crime or the testimony of only one witness. The facts of the case must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. John 8.17. Nancy, the water you provided is gonna be helpful this morning. I think it's the first time. Otherwise my wife would throw it up at me. John chapter eight, verse 17, your own, <clears throat> your own law says that if two people agree about something, their witness is accepted as fact. Second Corinthians 13 one, the facts of every case must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. You know, I've asked your forgiveness. I did did miss a whole page. You can just go about your conversation with each other. (laughs) Let me back up. I wanna get this straight. The text back on verse 15. If another believer brother sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. What I left out was, I think it's important, is a comparison verse from the Old Testament, Leviticus 19.17. I apologize for this. I'm all flustered about the Vikings. And uh, the the parallel verse and, and... Leviticus 19.17 is, I think, a good, powerful verse. It says, do not nurse hatred in your heart for any of your relatives. Confront people directly so you will not be held guilty for their sins. Um, The NLT, the, the New Living Translation that I use, says do not nurse hatred. The message says don't secretly hate. Another version says, don't hold grudges. And it's interesting that the writer of Leviticus talks about, for any of your relatives, all Israel was considered one family. Uh, Again, in our text, brothers. We're talking about, in the New Testament, brothers in Christ. In the Old Testament, it was those who were part of the tribe of Israel, the, the, any of your relatives. In verse 15, <coughs> in Matthew 18, says, go privately and point out the offense. Um, Leviticus 19:17, our verse says, confront people directly. If the other person listens and, listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. The New Living Translation Study Bible says, the believing community must not be fractured into rival parties and unreconciled relationships. Its members are to pursue reconciliation. Luke 17:3 to four. "If another believer sins, rebuke that person. Then if there is repentance, forgive. Even if that person wrongs you seven times a day and each time turns again and asks for forgiveness, you must forgive. Matthew 18, 21 to 22. Then Peter came to him and and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times, seven. The goal here is repentance leading to reconciliation, not keeping score. Let me repeat. The goal is repentance leading to reconciliation, not keeping score. Galatians chapter six, verse one, dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. Life application Bible says the body of Christ, the church functions only when its members work together for the common good. Now, back on track, forget that I already shared some of this information with you. James chapter five, verses 16 to 19, 20. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings that sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. The message paraphrase is make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. My dear friends, if you know people who have wandered off from God's truth, don't write them off. I love this. Go after them, get them back and you will have rescued precious lives from destruction and prevented an epidemic of wandering away from God. I think Jesus had this in mind in Matthew 18, verse 16. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. Don't write them off. Go after them, get them back. Don't nurse hatred. Don't secretly hate. Don't hold grudges. Go after them. Get them back. I think this is the essence of what's being taught in the scripture passages that we've looked at. But um, what if after we've gone to them privately, they won't listen? What if they don't confess? What if they refuse? Reconciliation, which unfortunately does happen more often than not. Then Jesus instructs us in verse 16 to take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. And I read you those scriptures about taking two or three witnesses. It's important to remember again that the goal is repentance leading to reconciliation in verse 17 if the person the brother still refuses to listen take your case to the church again don't write them off go after them get them back don't nurse hatred don't secretly hate don't hold grudges Go after them. Get them back. Verse 17. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat them. Treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. I like to think of this as treat them as an unbeliever. And I often think that if we don't treat unbelievers by shunning them, we treat unbelievers by loving them. I think it's good for us to get a new perspective on what's being said. The message paraphrase kind of alludes to this in verses 15 and 17. If a fellow believer hurts you, go and tell him. Work it out between the two of you. If he listens, you've made a friend. If he won't listen, take one or two others along so that the presence of witnesses will keep things honest and try again. If he still won't listen, tell the church. If he won't listen to the church, and this is, again, I understand that it's the message. It's just a paraphrase, but I think it's important what he says. If he won't listen to the church, you'll have to start over from scratch. Confront him with the need for repentance and offer again, God's forgiving love. How many times are we to forgive? 7 times? No, 70 times 7. The Life Application Bible notes says these are Jesus guidelines for dealing with those who sin against us. They were meant for number 1 Christians, not unbelievers. 2 sins committed against you and not others, and 3 conflict resolution in the context of the Church, not the community at large. Jesus' words are not a license for a frontal attack on every person who hurts or slights us. They are not a license to start a destructive gossip campaign or to call for a Church trial. They are designed to reconcile those who disagree so that all Christians can live in harmony. When someone wrongs us, we often do the opposite of what Jesus recommends. When we turn away in hatred or resentment, we seek revenge or engage in gossip. By contrast, we should go to that person first, as difficult as that may be. Then we should forgive that person as often as she or he needs it. This will create a much better chance of restoring the relationship. To help us prepare for a Matthew 18 confrontation, we provided a sheet this morning entitled Preparing for a Confrontation. This is the fourth of four sheets that we've offered uh, the last four Sundays. There's two sides to it. The first sheet that we offered to you was examining, again, our attitudes and actions. The second sheet was examining your heart and speech. Last week, writing on an authentic confession And this morning, preparing for a confrontation. This is something, again, all preparing for the sacred assembly. And also, all of the inserts of the prayer team have been made available to you. We started with 55 verses on prayer and fasting. Seeking God's face, purification, petition. And this week, having to do with vision both we're trying to help you on a corporate level prepare for a sacred assembly and on a personal level prepare for a sacred assembly and both of these all of the handouts are still available down at the eye center then by the cafeteria you can pick up any of these sheets again they're they're just an aid to help you in the process prepare for a sacred assembly. I want to close by looking at Galatians chapter 6. And then our prayer team is have some practical steps for us to take and praying about vision this morning. Galatians 6, 1 through 5, and again, I, I want to read it from the message. Live creative, creatively, friends, If someone falls into sin, forgivingly restore him, saving your comments, your critical comments for yourself. You might be needing forgiveness before the day's out. Stoop down and reach out to those who are oppressed, share their burdens, and so complete Christ's law. If you think you are too good for that, you're badly deceived. Make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you have been given, and then sink yourselves into that. Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourselves with others. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your own life." Think of powerful words. So, in conclusion, I would ask you to save February 11th on your calendar two weeks from today, two weeks from this evening, um, on actually the whole day, because in the morning we're going to be asking the questions, how do we get to this point? We have some individuals that have done some research coming out of the transition team that will help us understand how, how do we get to this point where we need corporate confession and forgiveness and reconciliation. How do we get to this point where we need to call for a sacred assembly? That will be the, the thrust of the morning service two weeks from this morning. And then at 6 p.m. we'll have our sacred assembly. And again, our text to, as, to, as a jumping diving board experience into this is Joel 1.14, that we are to declare a holy fast to call a sacred assembly. Summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord our God and cry out to the Lord. We, we will do three basic things that evening. We will formally repent of our corporate sin, our individuals that will stand before us and confess uh, some of the corporate sins that we've discovered in our relationship as brothers and sisters, as a church. Then we will confess the failures of our church. And we will thirdly commit to return anew to God and His purposes. Next week, as we continue our preparation for the Sacred Assembly, we're going to talk about the subject of brokenness. What does it mean to be broken? I have sensed in all three of my interim positions in churches in New York, Wisconsin, and here in Havertown that one of the things that is so desperately needed in our churches today is individuals who are broken. I don't mean broken like a toy that you're ready to trash. I'm talking about a life in lives that are broken and need to be mended by God. So we'll talk about that next week. Um, right now, let's pray, and then we'll have our prayer team lead us in some guided prayer. Father, thank you for uh, this morning as we take a look at Matthew 18. And um, I ask your forgiveness or my confusing the issue by getting a page out of, of sync, but I pray that your Holy Spirit can use even, even that to get our attention. And uh, we want to not give up on anybody. We want to seek um, confession. We want to seek forgiveness. We want to experience reconciliation. And can it happen here in a greater and greater um, way at Grace Chapel, that we would see people who have been pursued by the love of Jesus and the love of their brothers and sisters in Christ and have come to reconciliation with one another and with Jesus. May it be so in Jesus' name. Amen.